What's up, guys? Welcome to the latest installment of Reformation South, where we are in pursuit of sound doctrine, church unity, and a humble faith. Uh, this is going to be one where I've just got to get this out of my system, I guess. Um, that doesn't mean I'm going to be ranting and raving, but I will say this. I've This is the first episode that we've ever tried to record <clears throat> where I've gone back and I've deleted the first two or three recordings um, and just starting from scratch here. There's a lot going on. There's a lot of things that are happening that are confirming our convictions. I'll word it that way. And you can just look at our tagline, you know, in pursuit of sound doctrine, church unity, and a humble faith. And we know that many people would hear that and think, you know, well, we think that things are going pretty good in our community. We think that things are pretty, uh, pretty well in our community. Everybody seems to Love the Lord. Everybody seems to be going to church. And, you know, we've got all of these churches and isn't that a good thing and so on and so forth. And like I said, I've <clears throat> I've recorded two podcasts already that I've deleted um, because I want to I want to do everything in my power to make sure that this comes across in the right spirit, in the right vein, so to speak. I don't want to sound like somebody who is just ranting or venting or anything else. This is a this is a plea for the body of believers, starting in Baxley, Georgia, um, but then spreading out from there. You know, guys, we, we've got to understand, we've got to come to the simple conclusion that Scripture actually has a lot to say about the unity of the believers. Scripture has a lot to say about what sound doctrine is, what healthy teaching is, and what unhealthy teaching is, or false doctrine. Um, like it's in there and we can't keep living and doing church as if it's not in there. Like we can't just turn a blind eye to it and say, well, we like what we've got going on. So we're just going to keep doing what we're doing. Well, you ought not do that if it's not biblical. Um, Y'all heard me harp on little things before, which really they're not little things, but I say little things because it, it's, it's easy to just look at these things and say, this is proof. This is it right here that we practice so many things that are not found in scripture. Here's one of the chief things that I always bring into a conversation that I'm having with somebody that, you know, where I'm, I'm kind of stating my convictions that, Hey, you know, we do practice things that aren't biblical. We do practice things that aren't even found in scripture at all. A very easy topic to bring up is to say, at the end of a church service in the world we live in today, the preacher will say something along the lines of, okay, every head bowed, every eye closed. Well, right there, right there, you don't even have to go any further. Where's that in scripture, right? Preacher preaches a sermon and every head bowed, every eye closed. Already we're working towards a desired goal. The reason that the preacher asked for every head bowed and every eye to be closed is we're, we're working towards a goal that we want to achieve. And so now comes the end of the service where we, we start to work these strategies and we start to work these methods because we're, we're working for a desired goal. So every head bowed, every eye closed. If you're here this morning and you've never accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior and, and you, you wish to do that today, would you just simply raise your hand? Nobody's looking around. Nobody sees you. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Just, just raise your hand if you, if you wish to be saved today. Now, if you've raised your hand, re repeat this prayer after me and the pastor will lead the congregation or whoever raised their hand. He'll lead them in what is often referred to as the sinner's prayer. 
And then afterwards, he'll say something along the lines of, if you're here today and you raised your hand and you prayed that prayer, you are now a part of the body of Christ. You are saved today. Well, folks, that's simply untrue. You cannot back that up with scripture. You cannot say to anybody, because you have said a prayer, because you raised your hand at the end of a service, because you walked down the aisle at the end of a service and said this prayer, that means you are saved. There's not really any other way to break that down other than to say that that's a false gospel. It is. The gospel isn't Christ died upon the cross and whosoever repeats a prayer is saved. It's not the gospel. It's not the gospel to say that Christ, because of Christ and his finished work upon the cross, anyone who raises their hand or walks the aisle in a church service and does what the preacher tells them to do is saved. And you say, Caleb, that's an oversimplification of, of what they're doing. And I get that. I'll actually, I will, I will, I will humor you on that one. I will say, you're right. You know, in some ways, in some ways, that's an oversimplification of, of what happens at the end of a church service. I get that that the gospel is presented, but but here's my gripe. <clears throat> Typically what will happen is after the person has said the prayer, they are told, you're saved today. And if they were to ask, well, how do I know that I'm saved? The response would be, well, you just said that prayer. Biblically speaking, here is the response to anyone who says, what must I do to be saved? Believe. Repent and believe. Um, and that's it. There's, there's nothing else. There's nothing else in there. There's nothing else in there. We know that believers should follow through with believers baptism. Uh, the day of Pentecost, Peter actually did say, you know, repent and be baptized. All of you uh, who receive this. Um, but it's belief. Jesus started his earthly ministry with repent. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Um, so repent and believe. Now, of course, if somebody wants to pray, absolutely. We'll pray with them. We'll talk with them. We'll answer questions that they have. But that person has only is only saved if they, instead of having a heart of stone that rejects the gospel, now they have a heart of flesh that believes and accepts the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's a matter of faith. It's a matter of belief. We are saved by grace through faith, and that is the gift of God. We are his workmanship. And so I know that was a little bit of a, a long explanation, but, but just the thing is, is proof positive that we have many unbiblical practices and we just, we just do things that they're not even found within the scriptures. Now that does not mean that it's wrong to say, well, I go to a church that sings three songs. It's nowhere in scripture where it says you've got to sing three songs. So does Caleb think that we're doing things wrong because we only sing three songs at church? No, that's not what I'm saying. How, how many songs you want to sing, how long the preacher wants to preach, um, you know, when you want to take up the offering, how you want to take up the offering, what style of music you want to sing, all of those things. Yeah, we can have discussions about that. We can talk about that because those aren't, those aren't, those certainly aren't as weighty as the gospel and telling someone you are saved. Like you're telling someone that you've been born again you no longer have to be concerned about the wrath of God because you are safe and secure in Christ. Like that's a big deal 
to tell someone that. In fact, that's the biggest of deals to tell someone that. And we do it as if it's just this, this scheme and this strategy that we've mastered, right? Preacher preaches, have an altar call. Whoever comes forward, we tell them that they're saved and we tell them we'll see them again next week. And, and some churches still have new believers class and stuff like that. And that's wonderful, by the way. Let me say that if, if you're at a church where you actually have a new believers class, where you actually start to teach them some sound doctrine and you walk them through the Christian faith, praise God for churches and, and, and leadership uh, pastors that still do that. But a lot of times what happens is, man, that's awesome. You just made the best decision of your life. Just keep on coming to church here. We'll love you. We'll take care of you. We'll encourage you. And, and that's it. Like, that's it. Their faith is never tested. It will be tested out in the world. You know, they're going to start telling people I'm a Christian now. And, and, and by default, because we live in a fallen world, that proclamation of faith is going to be tested. But as far as the church goes, it's like, all right, we got 10 more saved. We need to baptize them. And then we start telling other people, right? Well, we had 10 people saved at church last Sunday. We're baptizing them next Sunday. God's really moving here. God's really moving in our midst. And yes, my grave concern is he's not. And it's all a myth. And it's all just, it's all just man-made schemes and strategies that we work and we're really good at working them, right? We're really good at making it all come together because we'll work hard at it. But honestly, I mean, up, up to this point, I haven't even really addressed what is truly on my heart and mind. That was all just one big example. If you want to know where we're at um, as far as our mentality and our burdens and our convictions that we have, uh, here with, with Reformation South, you know, again, you may still be asking, well, why are they calling it Reformation South? We believe that the church needs a modern Reformation. Uh, and that is not that is not a plea to say, oh, we need to go to this certain set of beliefs and certain sets of doctrines. You know, this is what does the church need to be reformed by? Right. That's the question to ask. OK, Caleb, you're saying that the church needs to be reformed. Well, what what tool? Or what method do we use to reform the church with? It's a very easy, straightforward question. Scripture alone. Churches need to be molded and shaped and obedient to the word. Scripture alone. Right? And so now we come back to what this episode really is about. After I've started with a 10-minute introduction here or an 11-minute introduction here. Church unity. We've we've got to come to the point where we say, you know what? The Bible actually has a lot to say about church unity, so we should probably take that seriously. So what exactly is it that unites the church? How do Christians have true unity? Paul asked a very simple, straightforward question in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. He asked the church at Corinth, he says, is Christ divided? The answer to that is a resounding no, of course not. He says, you know, it's reported to me that there's some of you that say, I'm of Paul and I'm of Apollos and I'm of uh, <coughs> um, Cephas, you know, and it's like, is Christ divided? That's the point where we, like, we've got to come to that point. We live in Baxley, look around. There's over 100 churches in our little town. So let's apply that question 
to the believers in Baxley. Hey, believers, is Christ divided? No. Why are there so many churches? Why are we so divided? What's going on? Does God, does God look down upon the state of the church in Baxley and in Jeff Davis and in Alma? And uh, I said Jeff Davis, Hazelhurst, specifically Jeff Davis, Appling, Bacon County. Does God look down <clears throat> and is he pleased with the way that those who claim to be his people are behaving and how, di how divided we are? If we ask that question and then we look at scripture, we must answer. We are compelled to answer, no, he's not. Listen, if Jesus Christ himself prayed in John 17, Father, let them be one as we are one. And then we look around, we look around us, and we say, "Oh, well, that you know, we're not one. We're divided. We're scattered. We're all over the place. We don't know what we believe. Every church you go to preaches something a little bit different. It seems like they they each have their own little characteristics and and the, the things that, that they try to make themselves unique and things that make them stand out among the other churches. We've got churches that are." that are begging other people that already go to a different church to come to their church. So we've got churches like fighting for membership statuses, right? Like fighting for attendance. Like, hey, we know that you already go to a church, but why don't you come to our church? So not only are we divided, but we're actually fighting against one another. Like when you really break that down, that's what that is. We're devouring one another, right? We've, we've got to get past the point where our goal and, and to me, this is the root issue. If our goal is to just get more people to come to church, like we're already off base. The goal isn't to get people in the door. The goal isn't just to get more people to come to church. The goal of the church is to be the pillar and the buttress of truth. The goal of the church, uh, when, when it comes to the pastor, the goal of the church is to preach the word. The goal of the church is to equip and edify the saints for the work of the ministry. Like that's, that's what needs to be going on. But we live... We live in this pocket where it's like everything is all about church attendance. We want more numbers. We want more people to come to our church. And right out of the gate, we already have the wrong goals and the wrong motives. So I know I said, I know I said this wasn't going to be me, me venting or whatever else, but I, you know, I, you could, you might listen to those last couple of minutes and say, okay, well that kind of sounded like venting to me. And that's fine if you take it that way, but I'm begging you to understand like this isn't, this isn't just me on here with a chip on my shoulder like, guys, this is real life. This is where we're living. This is what's going on within the body of Christ. We need to repent. We need to repent. This is not good. This is not godly. This does not please God. We are a, we are a broken people. We are a confused people. And that's not criticism. That's, that's factual. I'm saying these things out of out of love for the brethren within our communities. I want to see a true lasting, you know, revival. That's a big word around here. You know, we're having a revival in October. We're having a revival in December. We're, yeah, I want to see a real revival that God brings, not that we put on a calendar and that we schedule, a genuine revival that God brings where his people that may be slumbering are awakened and we are you know, we're working out our own salvation. We're making our calling and election sure. We're growing in the faith. We're being edified in the faith. And it's a true and lasting transformation that comes about 
through the preaching and teaching of God's word and through his spirit working in the hearts and minds of his people, sanctifying us and purifying us for his glory alone. And then add to that the icing on the cake, if you will. More souls being added to the kingdom. So not only is the body of Christ purified and sanctified, God continues to add to his kingdom. God continues to draw men to salvation through the preaching and teaching of his word because it is the gospel that is the power of God unto salvation. So church unity, is Christ divided? No. So right, right there, we've got work to do. We need to repent. Again, just look around. Is Christ divided? No. Then why on earth do we have so many different churches teaching so many different things? So now we come back to that question now that I finally circled all the way back around. What is it that unifies the believers? Well, let's read from Ephesians 4 real quick. Because again, I don't I don't want anybody to be able to say, well, all Caleb did was talk. He didn't even bring up the scriptures. I, I hope and I pray that that it will become clear that these are biblical convictions. This is not just Caleb saying, well, everybody needs to do it our way or everybody needs to agree with us. These things are scriptural. These things are biblical. And if we claim to be believers, then we then we ought to be people of the word because that's where God has spoken. So Ephesians chapter four, Paul says this, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of your calling. So we claim to be Christians. We claim to be those that are called by God to be his people then we ought to live like that. We ought to walk in a manner worthy of that calling with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager, catch this, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. So we ought to be a people that, again, we look around, we see the state of the churches around us. We ought to be eager to say, we need to fix this. We're not united. We're not together. We need to be eager to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body, one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and father of all who is over all and through all and in all. One, one, one. You heard it repeated there. One. This is why we are to be eager to, to maintain unity. Through the blood of Christ, we are all made to be one in Christ. If it is God's will for his people to be united and to be one and we are divided, then we ought to be eager to repent and work to fix that, work to remedy that. But grace was given to each one of you or each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. We jump now to verse 11, Ephesians 4, verse 11. He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, the teachers. Why did he give these? To equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. Unity of the faith, knowledge of the Son of God. What is it that unites the true believers? It's the faith. And the faith isn't just, okay, well, we all say that we believe in God. The faith is the knowledge of the Son of God. The faith is all that Christ taught. The faith is all that God has spoken. It's not this blind faith that we say, oh, we all believe that there's God. 
We all believe in Jesus, so we all have faith. No, to the unity of the faith. The faith is a reference to the teachings, the word, the teachings of Christ, the word of God, what we are to believe and what we are to um, measure our lives by. That's what he's speaking of here. Unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we will not be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine. Sound doctrine is important. To know sound doctrine is what unites the body of Christ. Now, of course, we know that it is the Spirit of God. Well, what, what is one of the faculties or the, the responsibilities of the Spirit of God? The Spirit of God leads us into all truth. As we are led into all truth, as we are led into the truth of the faith, into the fullness of the stature of Christ, the fullness of the knowledge of the Son of God, we will be united. And instead of being children that are tossed back and forth by every different doctrine that we hear, like, oh, I thought this was true, but then I heard this new teaching, and that sounds kind of cool to me. I think I'll go that way. We'll be able to say, hey, we're not going to be tossed around. We're not going to be like waves of the sea that go back and forth, back and forth, up and down, up and down. We know the truth. We know the faith. So all of this false doctrine and all of these um, Paul goes on to say human cunning and craftiness and deceitful schemes. All of these deceitful schemes, all of this craftiness, all of this stuff that sounds good to my ears, I know that it's not true because I've been grounded and rooted in the faith. I'm not going to be like a wave that's tossed to and fro. We're going to stand united in the faith, in the fullness of the knowledge of God. So what is it that unites the church? It's the word. If the word says it, if God has said it, we believe it and we practice it. We do not add to it. We do not take away from it. We don't say, well, we like this part, but we don't like that part. We don't, we don't emphasize one part greater than the other and say, oh, well, we like this one section of scripture and we're going we're gonna to build our whole entire doctrinal statement. We're going to build our whole entire denomination over this one little passage of scripture. No, we take the word of God as a whole. And we say that this is our rule of faith. This is the standard. God has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. And we will utilize that. We will grow. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 says that Scripture is able to make us equipped for every good work. To make us to where we're lacking nothing. And so we come to the word and that is what unites us. If somebody is preaching and teaching something that is not in accordance with the sound doctrine of the word... We don't listen to it. We don't say, well, it doesn't really sound like sound doctrine, but it does sound good, so maybe we need to, maybe we need to keep listening to it. Maybe it'll, no, we say, no, that's not, it's not biblical. We don't follow that. But because we're human and because it's, it has always been the case, there's nothing new under the sun, people like to hear things on their own terms. And unregenerate people, so unbelievers, non-believers, unsaved folks, like to pretend that they are Christians and they go to church and everything else, well, they're not going to like to hear the truth. So what do they like to hear? They like to hear things for their own itching ears. And so what do they do? They gather unto themselves, they accumulate false teachers that will tell them what they want to hear. Folks, all these things are biblical. 
everything I just said, First and Second Timothy, Titus, like I beg of you, go and go and study those those just those three books, and see what Paul says about false teachers and their characteristics and what it looks like when people abandon sound doctrine and start to cling to falsehood. But what do we need to be concerned with right now as pertains this podcast episode and pertains this discussion that we're having? If you're listening to this and you say, well, church unity is important to me. I want us to have church unity. Okay, then we have to address the fact that God's people are united around sound doctrine. God's people are united around the word, what he has actually said, what he has actually spoken. Preachers are called to preach the word. That's it. You could add one thing to there. Pastors are actually called to call out false teachings and correct error. Again, first and second Timothy, Titus. In fact, let me read. Let me read from first Timothy. First Timothy chapter one, verse three, Paul, Paul tells Timothy, as I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine. He literally tells Timothy, I urged you to stay there so that like one, the chief reason that I told you to stay there was so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any other doctrine. Correct the false teachers, Timothy. Correct the errors, Timothy. Call out the false teaching, Timothy. Correct it. Titus. In Titus chapter 1. Chapter 1 verse 5 says, This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained in order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. And then he goes through the qualifications of an elder. If anyone's above reproach, husband of one wife, his children are believers, not open to the charge of debauchery, or insubordination. For an overseer as God's steward must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and rebuke those who contradict it. Pastors are called to preach the word. Pastors are called to call out false teaching and false teachers. Pastors, preachers are to be able to not only give instruction and in sound doctrine, but rebuke those who do not follow sound doctrine and those who do not teach sound doctrine. It's biblical. And we don't, I get it. We don't like to talk about it because we don't like confrontation. And I'm being sincere. I'm not trying to sound lighthearted. I'm being very sincere. I do get it. Confrontation um, is difficult. It's hard. It can be awkward. It can last. You know, once we kind of open up a can of worms, it's kind of like, okay, well, how long is this going to last? How long are things going to be difficult? How long are things going to be awkward? But here's the question we have to ask ourselves. If God has commanded it, if God has instructed it in his word, then is it worth all of the awkwardness? Is it worth all of the difficulty? Is it worth all of the pain and the heartache? Because listen, when sound doctrine gets brought back into the people, or brought back into the picture, people start to leave. People start to depart. 
because they will say, well, this isn't what I want. I don't want the sound doctrine. I don't want the truth. So I'm out. I'm leaving. So is it worth the heartache? Is it worth watching people walk away? And we must, as hard as it is, as difficult as it is, we must answer that question by saying, yes, it is worth it because God is glorified through the sound doctrine, the sound teaching and preaching of his word. God is glorified when his people are fed by sound doctrine alone, fed by scripture alone. God is not pleased when his people are entertaining false doctrine, when his people are entertaining the ways of the world, when his people are led by false shepherds. That does not glorify God. So if we are, if we're seriously considering that question, I know that for the true believer, the spirit of God will lead us to the conclusion, yes, we must do this. We must take this seriously. We must be eager to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. We must be eager to know sound doctrine, to teach sound doctrine, and not to swerve away from sound doctrine. We're compelled to. We must. It's instructed in the scriptures. So all of that to come back to this point on pastors, you know, pastors aren't called to be masters of their craft, meaning that their craft is implementing church strategies and implementing methodologies that grow the attendance. Folks, we've, we, we've got to get that. We've got to understand that. It is not part of the qualifications of a pastor to be able to get more people to come to church. That's not the goal of a pastor. If you have a pastor that gets a lot of people to come to church, but doesn't know sound doctrine, you don't have a good pastor. You don't. If we have pastors that, that are able to encourage us and make us feel good, and they're able to preach sermons that bring the tears and they stir the emotions, but it's not sound doctrine, we don't have good pastors. We have people that are good at speaking. We have people that are that are uh, that are kind. That are they are people persons. You know, they're good at rubbing elbows with people and and and, and shooting the breeze and, and and making friends with everybody. That does not make them a good pastor. I tell you what it. I tell you what it would be. What it would be great to see some of these men. Um, how their gifts would be better suited. If these men that are that are they are just natural encouragers, and they are they do have leadership qualities, and they are able to speak well, and people do listen to them when they speak, they would be vital, integral parts of a church body. Maybe as a deacon, maybe as a fellow elder, but at the very least, how about just as a man? Don't we all agree that churches need more men that are true leaders? I'm not saying that the that just because these guys aren't really pastors that they shouldn't even be in the church. I'm just simply saying that those things don't make them a good pastor. What makes somebody a qualified, strong pastor? Being able to teach, being apt to teach. We went through the qualifications there in Titus, husband of one wife, not a drunkard, not arrogant, uh, but hospitable, a lover of good. His children must be uh, believers. They must. He must rule over his own household well but apt to teach, able to teach. 
He must be able to correct that which is wrong. That's, that's like the key qualification for a pastor. And some of these men, I think if, 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 if they were to, if they were to be confronted with these things, I'm, I feel pretty confident they would say, you know what? I do need to focus more on that. I do need to come back to just preaching and teaching the sound doctrine of the word. So please don't take my comments too harshly. I'm not saying that, that the world doesn't have any good pastors. But what I'm saying is, as a Christian, we all need to have a good understanding of what a biblical pastor is called to be and called to do. It's preach the word. And yes, we are compelled to actually call out false teaching and call out false teachers. And that's not, a, that's not an easy thing to do. That's not a fun thing to do either. So again, please don't, I feel like I need to insert this in here one more time. I'm not, I'm not attacking. I'm not trying to tear down. This is truly an effort for the body of Christ to be built up and to be encouraged and to be edified. Listen, I don't, we, Reformation South, proper ministries, but me specifically, I don't want to see the church full of people that are tossed about by every wind of doctrine. And so we are, we are forced to address the pulpit. Because if, if our people are tossed around by every wind of doctrine, then the root one of the root causes of that is that our pastors that stand behind the pulpit aren't teaching sound doctrine. The saints aren't being equipped for the work of the ministry. The saints aren't being brought to um, the unity of the faith. We're confused. We're scattered. We're all over the place. And it's got, it's got to be addressed. Somebody has to bring it up. And if we're the bad people for bringing it up, listen, I, I, again, I'm not saying this with a smirk on my face or anything else, but I'm, I'm just being honest. If we have to be the bad guys in order for this stuff to get brought up, so be it. Our prayer is that even if we're the bad guys and nobody wants to talk to us anymore, but we brought this up and the end result is that the body of Christ is strengthened and edified, then praise be to God. We'll be the bad guys. We'll be the castaways, right? We care about you guys. We love you guys, all five of our listeners. <laughs> we have a few more than five. But anyone who's listening to this, love you. We care about you. And above all else, we care about your faith. We care about your spiritual well-being. We care about the fact that when you go to church, either you are being fed by the sound doctrine of the word of God or you are not. We care about our pastors in this area. Listen, we don't, we don't want pastors in this area to start resigning and just dropping off like flies. We want the pastors in our area to be sanctified and to be purified. And, and yeah, there, I, I believe there are some people who call themselves pastors that they need to repent. But we're praying that they do repent and that they begin teaching and preaching the sound doctrine of the word and that we start to see some more church Unity. Now, with that being said, let me throw this crazy idea out there. If churches become more united, some churches might be led to shut their doors and then two congregations join together. And what does the human side of us say? Oh, well, that would be a power struggle because which one of those two men are going to be the pastor? You know, which person is the congregation going to listen to more? Can I just say this? That is the wrong way of going about that. If there are two, two churches that come to our Rather, let me say this, two churches ought to be able to come together 
in peace and in harmony, forget that building. Shut the, shut the building down, lock the doors. It's just a building. The body of Christ coming together and the believers worshiping together, that's what it's all about. And by God's grace, and here's the thing, through the sound teaching of scripture, we are instructed on how to, um, how to navigate and how to lead through every single difficult situation that could possibly arise within a congregation and amongst the leadership. And again, we ask the question, is Christ abiding? It's not about, well, I like Apollos. I like Paul. I like Cephas. Nope. We're all laborers in this together. There's one captain, the Lord. One plants, one waters, but it's him. It's God that brings the increase. It's not about which preacher you like best or, or which building you like best. It's about glorifying God, folks. And we've got to get back to the simplicity of that. Are we glorifying God? Are we operating um, according to the to the sound doctrine of the scriptures. But we brought up pastors. So now let's bring it back just to the congregation. Obviously, pastors have to be concerned with sound doctrine. We covered that pretty well. But guess what? The people that just sit in the pews, they ought to have a concern for sound doctrine as well. And, and here's what gets said. Well, we just want people to get saved. Well, we just want people to get saved. Here's the thing. Jesus said to go out and to make disciples, teaching them whatsoever I have commanded you. So even if we don't like it, the biblical command is more than just getting them saved, right? The biblical command is for people to be made disciples and to be taught all that Christ has commanded to be taught from the sound doctrine of the word of God. Therefore, the people that are sitting in the pews, the lay people, if you will, they need to be concerned with sound doctrine as well. If the people sitting in the pews aren't concerned with sound doctrine, then they're not even going to notice when the preacher isn't preaching sound doctrine. What If they're not concerned with sound doctrine, what are they going to be concerned with? Do we like what this pastor says? And probably they'll be concerned with are more people coming to our church because of our pastor. But if the people in the pew are concerned with sound doctrine, then they're not just going to accept any old pastor who comes in. And even if he has the greatest personality in the world, they're going to say, hey, you need to be preaching the sound doctrine. And they hold the pastor accountable. So now let's flip that script. If the preacher isn't concerned with sound doctrine, He's not going to care if his congregation isn't concerned with sound doctrine. In fact, his livelihood depends on the fact that his congregation isn't concerned with sound doctrine. So what's his aim going to be? Well, I just need to keep these people pleased. I need to do whatever they want me to do so that I can stay here and keep on preaching. And we'll just try to have a good time while we're here. And we'll just try to keep the ship going. You know, we'll just try to keep everybody happy, keep everybody pleased. If he's not concerned with sound doctrine, inevitably he's probably going to end up being concerned with keeping the people happy rather than keeping God happy. However, if the pastor is truly concerned with sound doctrine, he isn't going to be okay with a congregation that isn't concerned with sound doctrine. He's going to compel them. He's going, he's going to correct them. He's going to um, 
He's going to discuss things with them. He's going to push them towards sound doctrine. He's going to reprove, rebuke, correct. He's going to do all of those things. He's going to exhort them in the faith. Now, when those two things come together, a congregation and a pastor that truly cares about sound doctrine, you know, that's, that's, that's the goal, right? That's, that's what we all should be fighting for, that our leaders are grounded and rooted in the faith and teaching sound doctrine so that our congregations can be rooted and grounded in the faith and know sound doctrine, believe sound doctrine, and take that sound doctrine and the true gospel back out into the world so the souls will be saved. But if we don't even have a concern for sound doctrine, folks, how do we know when we're in trouble or not? But here's a better question. It's not about when do we know when we're in trouble. Here's the best question. How do we know if God is glorified if we don't even know what his word says? Right? Every church going Christian would say they would at least give lip service to the fact that, yeah, we want to glorify God. We want God to be pleased. Okay. How do we know if we're pleasing God if we don't know his word? If we don't know what he expects of us? If we don't know what sound teaching is? If we don't know all of the things that Christ has commanded, how do we know whether or not God is pleased? And that's the key question that we must be asking. Is God pleased with false doctrine and false practices? No, he's not. Read the Old Testament over and over again. Israel went off after idols. They tried to do what was, whatever was right in their own eyes. That does, not, that does not make God very happy. And I'm not trying to speak, you know, uh, sarcastically or anything with that. I just legitimately, that does not make God happy. It does not please him. Well, God's unchanging. God doesn't change. So what happens in our churches today if we are doing things and practicing things that are not biblical? God's not pleased. God isn't pleased. You say, well, what of what of all these so-called moves of God? You know, where, where so many people are claiming to get saved and everything else. And, you know, it seems like God is working. It seems like we're, we're, we're doing a good thing. And so that takes us all the way back to the beginning of the episode. So we'll, we'll close the episode here too. Yes, there does seem to be times where a particular church will have lots of people getting saved or getting baptized. And that church seems to be growing and everything else. Again, just bring it back. Bring it back to the word. 2 Timothy chapter 3. Understand this. That in the last days, there will come times of difficulty. People will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure, rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. When we read through that list of characteristics, we'd probably be tempted to say, well, there's no way in the world that, those, that anybody would ever think somebody like that was a Christian. But what did it say? They have the appearance of godliness. They appear to be godly, but what are they? They're slanderous, they're treacherous, they're lovers of money, they're proud, they're arrogant, they're abusive. They love pleasure, rather than God. So they have this appearance of godliness, but really they're just doing religion because it makes them feel good. It gives them pleasure. It builds them up. It makes them feel good. They're doing it for their own gain. 
Then in verse 10, it says this, but you, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim and my, and my life and my faith, my patience, my love and my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, Iconium and Lystra, which persecutions I endured. Yet from all of them, the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. And then he goes on to say, this is, this is that passage of scripture where he says, all scripture is breathed out by God and it's profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, training and righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Need to be people of the word. But we come back to our point. What does a true believer look like? What does true faith look like? If those people had an appearance of godliness, but they denied its power, what does true godliness look like? The opposite of all those things. So instead of lovers of self, we are lovers of God and lovers of others. Instead of lovers of money and proud and arrogant and abusive, we've been humbled by the grace of God. We've been humbled under his mighty hand. We are content, right? We don't, we don't need anything else. We've been brought low. We're not unholy and heartless and unappeasable. We're, we're compassionate. We seek to please God in all things. We're not lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. We're lovers of God rather than our own self-satisfaction. We're lovers of God rather than our own pleasure. So what about these so-called moves of God where people are getting saved left and right and everybody's getting baptized and everything else? Here's the question we need to ask. Those people who claim to have been saved and born again, are they walking in newness of life? Are they living a life that bears fruit of the Spirit and fruits of regeneration? And I know that this is a very difficult thing, but listen, if we've got churches that are claiming that all these people are getting saved and they're going back out in the world and they're living no differently, they didn't get saved. They're not born again. It's phony. And I know that sounds harsh, but I would rather, I would rather sound harsh and help us kind of get to the point and get, and get to the real root of the issue by sounding harsh and stating the truth than to say, we're all right. We need to just keep doing what we're doing and everything's going to be fine. Everything's okay. No, true salvation produces godly people, godly living. True salvation bears fruit. False salvation is empty. The false gospels that are preached are empty. This is where our concern needs to be. In a very brief conclusion, I'll say this. I was going to mention this as well, but we're almost, we're almost at the hour mark. But we've got to fight for this. As we read in Ephesians, eager to maintain the unity. Eager. We've got to fight for it. In the book of Jude, he says, I had to write to you to contend for the faith that was once delivered to all the saints, to contend for it, to fight for it, to remind you of the true faith. We've got to fight. We read, we read from Timothy and Titus where Paul said, correct the false teaching, call out the false teachers. We've got to fight for it. It's a hard thing. And only by the grace of God can it be done. But if we want to see real church unity, guys, we've got to pursue sound doctrine. And in order for us to pursue sound doctrine, we've actually got to be concerned with what sound doctrine is and what the Bible actually says. And in order for us to actually do something about it, we're going to have to fight a little bit. And I don't mean fight amongst ourselves. I mean fight against the false teachers. I mean 
fight against the false teachings. I mean, fight against all of the errors that are so prevalent in our area. And I mean, fight against those who are going to oppose us because they don't want the truth. They want their ears scratched. We're going to have to be willing to contend for the faith. It's part of it. Thank you guys so much for listening. I want to say one last time, we are not here. I am not here to attack anybody, to attack the church, to be a negative Nancy or to just criticize. All of these things I am compelled to bring up. You know, I, I can honestly say there's a part of me, I don't want to have to talk about these things. I don't want to have to bring these things up. But when I read God's word and then I look out around us in our area, I see some pretty big discrepancies. I see some areas where we're not doing things biblically and it must be addressed. God is not glorified when his people are not abiding by his word and abiding in his word. So thank you so much for listening. I pray that even if even if some of what was said made you angry or made you frustrated, I beg of you, once you cool off, just think about what was said. But most importantly, go to the word. If you think I'm wrong in anything that I've said, go to the word, send me scripture. I'll read it, I'll study it, I'll reconsider my position. If you think I'm wrong, please show me in the word, show me from scripture where you're getting your convictions and where you're coming from. And let's study and let's reason together. Let's pursue God together. But if you think I'm wrong just because your feelings are hurt or just because it upsets you, I beg of you, look at the word and by God's grace, may his word through his spirit, may it correct all of us in our error and in our love of self and in our love of others more than our love for him. May we, may we be corrected on each and every front where we have made that error, where we've loved people, loved others, loved our status, loved ourselves more than we have loved God and more than we love his word. Our prayer is that God would purify and sanctify us through his word and that we would be united and that it would be a humble faith lived out among the believers. Reformation South is a part of proper ministries and proper ministries exist to get the whole of scripture to the whole of the people through the whole of life. Thank you guys so much for listening. If you liked it, even if you didn't like it and you want to share it because you want other people to be upset, that's fine. Share this episode. If you think it's worth a listen, if you think it's worth getting a conversation started, please share this episode. Be praying for us as we continue in the ministry. We love you guys. Reach out to us. Let us hear from you. My number is 912-339-1133. If you want to write us a letter or send us something, P.O. Box 1579, Baxley, Georgia, 31515. We would love to hear from you and get to know you better. Thank you so much. May God be glorified in all things.